Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is far for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Thanks, everybody, for reading. It sounded so nice. All right. Oh, the room didn't really fill up anymore. That's good. That's good. It's, uh, it's just our little family gathering here. It's good. Um, so tonight we're going to be continuing on through the Song of Mary, which we just read. Um, but tonight is also, or today I should say, marks another um, special day in our, in our Christian life, in that it's the first day of Advent. Um, now, if you're like me, or I guess I, I could just speak for myself and say that Advent has kind of meant like different things over the years, ranging from like a Lego calendar that has nothing to do at all with uh, Jesus to um, maybe only in the last couple of years, Advent truly becoming something more uh, than what um, I really thought it was growing up. But for those who are unfamiliar with the term, Advent just means arrival. And we're, we're spending this time of the year um, talking about the arrival of Jesus. Um, it's also the, the beginning of the church calendar. So um, in certain denominations and parts of the church, and even some here at Mission, um, we follow a, a, church, a church calendar year that is a little bit offset from our traditional calendar year beginning in January. But this season begins the, um, our annual remembrance of the life of Christ, honestly, starting with his birth. But Advent is more than just uh, remembering Jesus' first coming. We as Christians believe that the Messiah actually comes twice. We're remembering his second coming and anticipating his second coming through the Advent season. And tonight, we're going to immerse ourselves um, fully in the story of his first coming over 2,000 years ago. Uh, but through this season, through the next six or eight weeks or so, we're going to um, also be preparing our hearts for the second coming of Christ. This is what our hope is about. And it's precisely in this preparation through the Advent season that the church Mission Church and every other church that exists has the opportunity to declare to the world, Jesus is going to make all things new. This is what Advent is about. This is what preparing for the coming of Christ is about, is declaring to those around us, Jesus is going to make all things new. The evil that we see and experience in our world is not going to get to go on unpunished forever. 
Um, but God is going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to punish evil finally. And he's inviting into his kingdom the ones who have placed their trust in God. This is what Advent is about. And this is how we're going to press into it this season. If, uh, just a side note, if you're interested in some sort of helpful Advent tool, Biola, is Biola in California? I think they're over in California, yeah. Biola in California has this really, really cool um, Advent calendar of sorts that every day they release a new piece of art that has something to do with the Advent season, and you can listen to it like a song, typically like some sort of cool classical piece of music that has to do with the Advent season with different reflections. If you're into daily devotions, they're pretty sweet. They also do it during Holy Week, or I'm sorry, during Lent um, in the spring. So anyway, if you want to know more about that, I'll shoot you a link for it. How's that for a Christmas message, though? Like, Advent, I think, maybe has a little bit less to do with Christmas than we typically think. Um, Part of what makes the, the twice coming of the Messiah so significant is that so many of the psalms and songs and prophecy about the Messiah can be equally appropriated by both Israel before the first coming of Christ and by Israel, in other words, the church before the second coming of Christ. So we together with the Israel of old, we in 2021, we're groaning for a Messiah who's going to free slaves from bondage. One of my favorite Christmas songs is uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And there's a lesser known verse um, that uh, isn't in most versions of it that goes like this. It says, O come, O come, thou day spring bright, pour on our souls thy healing light. Dispel the long night's lingering gloom and pierce the shadows of the tomb. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So let's go ahead and pray to begin our time this evening. Father, we thank you for um, the gift of your son, truly. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who um, stands over and above time and uses um, many instruments to bring us to yourself, primarily your son. Jesus, we thank you for your incarnation, for your becoming flesh, becoming man, entering into a dark time in history, into a dark world, um, to be light. Spirit, we thank you for um, your continuing work in this age, uh, your comforting presence, um, your guiding leadership, uh, and your love for, uh, for the church and for those who are being called to follow you. We ask that you would guide us, God, in our time together this evening, and that through the whole Advent season that we would prepare our hearts for your arrival, for you are coming back. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So tonight, um, the verse, by the way, we just read the whole song again, but the the little section that we're going to be in tonight is the part where it says, so it's 48b in verse 49, which says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name. So for you note takers who like to know the points, I'm going to tell you what they are right now. 
I'm going to tell you my three points, and you can write them down. Um, you can rejoice, and then we'll, we'll move on. The first point tonight is that reflecting on the story helps us better understand Mary. The second point is that reflecting on Mary helps us better understand the gospel. And then the third point is reflecting on the gospel helps us glorify a holy God. So they're connected, hopefully. Hopefully they feel nice and flowy as we move through them. So let's start with the first one. Reflecting on the story helps us better understand Mary. So sometimes I think when we read the Gospels, we oftentimes can just read it. Maybe it just feels familiar. Maybe it's not familiar, but we don't stop to think, how did, how did we actually get this story? Um, who, how did Luke know about this little interaction between Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and Jesus? Now, I think that Luke probably interviewed Mary, to be honest. Um, Luke's gospel is unique in that it has all of these different details that aren't found in any of the other gospels, and they're oftentimes very personal. Uh, personal. Same thing in Acts. I mean, it's just clear that Luke was a, was a very uh, meticulous interviewer of people who knew how to tell stories well. I think it's highly likely that Luke actually sat with Mary, and Mary's like, check this out. This is what happened when I went and saw my relative Elizabeth. Um, so the next question then, to kind of maybe put some flesh on this story, is what was Mary doing? Like, why, why exactly did she go see Elizabeth in the first place? So let's think about that for a little bit. Um, how long does it take a baby to reach full term? Vi, you know? 40 weeks, okay, which translates roughly to how many months? Nine months, okay, cool, yes. So, nine months is how long it takes a baby to reach full term. Now, I think that the Bible here in Luke is giving us clues to the timing of all of this, and it can add some extra layers to the story. So, here's something really cool. Luke decided to use a pregnancy as a timeline. I actually hadn't noticed this before, and when I was diving into this, I was like, whoa, Luke actually used a pregnancy to mark all the different events in this little story here. So it starts out, um, it's very doctor-like, by the way, to do that. Um, it starts out when Elizabeth becomes pregnant. In verse uh, 24 of the chapter, it says, After this, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So there's our first, our, our first clue, our first number. And then it says, In the sixth month... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. So we know that we're six months into this pregnancy at this point, two-thirds of the way through this pregnancy. And if you think about it, I think it's highly likely. So Elizabeth just came out of seclusion a month ago. So I think that when Mary was visited by Gabriel, she was within a month, just a few weeks, maybe even within two weeks, because we, they didn't have email back then, um, maybe within just a couple of weeks of having found out that my old relative who physically can't have children is five months into a pregnancy. So this would have already been going through Mary's mind. And then Gabriel visits her with this astonishing vision that not only there's going to be one miraculous pregnancy, but two, and by the way, it's the Messiah. Um, 
So I think that this gives context when it says, immediately Mary got ready and hurried to go visit Elizabeth. Mary is just absolutely astonished by this. Now, I think Mary probably would have been planning on going to see Elizabeth ahead of time. And here's why. If you found out that your, let's just give a number, your 65-year-old great aunt was expecting a baby, you might want to go help her. Because uh, having a child wasn't easy on my 23-year-old wife at the time. I can't imagine what it might be like to be an old woman expecting a child. And Mary was her family, and I think that Mary's probably going to go help in the first place. But now she's got news. She's also going to be having a child. So the next thing that we see is uh, at the end of the uh, little section that we're in, in the Magnificat, it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So she was there when Elizabeth was full term. And I think it's highly likely that Mary probably was present for the birth of John the Baptist, which is just really cool. So what we have here then is two women with miraculous pregnancies living together and supporting each other for several months. And their initial greeting when they first see each other is nothing less than pure, overflowing joy that was brought on by the Spirit through the mouths of godly women who were steeped in the story of Israel and knew that God was doing a very special thing. So, our text for today. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And this brings us to our next point, which is reflecting on Mary helps us better understand the gospel. Now, when we read a line like, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, from Mary, I think that this might bring up different thoughts in our minds, uh, depending on our backgrounds. I think some of us might be thinking, um, yeah, she's going to be blessed. She's going to give birth to God. And then others might be thinking, hmm, I've seen this used in unhelpful ways before. In fact, some of us have grown up in church traditions that had interesting views and sometimes confusing ideas about Mary. So I think that in our, in our world today, we kinda, it feels like we have two different views on Mary that are on opposite sides of, of the scale. On one, you have um, kind of a typical uh, Catholic view, which is that uh, Mary was sinless, she only ever had one child, and that she didn't even die, that she just was assumed into heaven, body and soul. And then on the other side of the equation, in reaction to that, we kind of have like, who? Oh, yeah, that lady that the Catholics worship? Like, we don't, as if the only thing that we have to say about Mary is only to refute where we came from. Um, and we have a work of recovery to do there. So what, what is it then that that our Catholic brothers and sisters actually believe about Mary. Now, I'm not a Catholic theologian or scholar by any means. I think that there's probably several people in here who, who were raised Catholic, and so I'd, I'd actually love to talk to you about this after um, the service if you have um, some perspectives on this that I don't have. But I've, I've tried to seek an understanding of what the differences are between us um, mainly for the purpose of being able to find like what's the most common ground that we can have with 
um, Catholics as Protestants, people who aren't Catholics. Uh, there's a podcast called Pints with Aquinas that I've listened to sometimes. Has anybody ever seen this podcast? Ray, sweet. I was like really worried it was going to be like just me. Um, John actually also likes that podcast. I think he's referenced it in here before. Um, but it's a, it's a podcast put on by a, a really cool uh, Catholic theologian, a really faithful guy. Um, and the premise of the podcast is if you, could, if you could sit down with Thomas Aquinas, who's one of the greatest theologians of all of church history and probably the greatest Catholic theologian ever. Um, he's dead for a long time. Um, if you could sit down with him and have a pint of beer, what would, what would you talk about? And so what they do is they take a little section out of, it's called the Summa Theologica, which was written by Thomas Aquinas, and they, they read a section of it and talk about what it says. So I've listened to it from time to time to try to get a better idea of some things in uh, Catholic theology and faith that I don't understand, either things that I have never heard of or things that I know I disagree with, but I want to learn a little more. And the guy who hosts the podcast, um, I've heard him say, to all of my Protestant friends that listen to my podcast, would you please do your best to at least understand what we as Catholics believe? Because I'd love to be able to actually talk to you about it. I and mean, if you don't know what we believe, we're not going to be able to have a helpful conversation. So I found it to be helpful for me. So here's um, three things that, uh, that the, the Catholic Church would, would say about Mary. The first is they, they believe in a doctrine called Immaculate Conception. And basically what this means is that Mary was free from sin from the very moment of her, of her conception. When she was conceived in her mother's womb, she was free from sin. The next thing that they believe that's different than what we believe about Mary is uh, per, what's called perpetual virginity, basically meaning that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. And then finally, the assumption of Mary, which is that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven and did not experience death. So what's, what's the deal with these doctrines? Why am I bringing them up? Why are we talking about Catholic theology on a Sunday night in November? That's boring as heck. Um, we as Protestants have a great work of recovery to do in thinking well about Mary. Since the Reformation, we have lost um, so much... Uh, Words, so many words uh, and how to reflect well on the fact that God had a mother. <laughs> like, this is astonishing. And we really, especially when we're reading and preaching through her song, how are we to think about Mary and the, what implications does it have for us? So in order to do that, let's, let's examine these issues that we would disagree with, but then let's push past the disagreement into good biblical reflection on the person of Mary, but then ultimately the gospel. So these Catholic doctrines, they range from like deeply problematic to like they just kind of shrink the gospel, which is the opposite of magnification, which is the very thing Mary invites all people to do with her in the beginning of the song when she says, magnify the Lord with me. So this first one, Immaculate Conception, that's the one that's deeply problematic. Um, if Mary was without sin, then why did Jesus have to be born and die for our sins? And in my opinion, this doctrine, it's pretty baseless and goes against many of the truths that we hold to in the Christian faith. So briefly, in Romans 3, 
which by the way, everything I'm about to read is all pulled from the Old Testament. Um, Romans 3, 10 through 18, is all quotations from the Old Testament, all brought into one paragraph. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, I have some breaking news from uh, the front lines of biblical scholarship. One in the Greek means one, and none in the Greek means none. And a few verses later in verse 23, we read that all, again, meaning all, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Mary, like us, and every single person in human history was under the curse of sin from birth. So this doctrine falls under the category of what we would call heresy, and it needs to be uh, forgotten in the trash can of time, to be honest, because it changes who Jesus is. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. And if Mary is sinless, then that, that throws a wrench in things. So the other two, this perpetual virginity and assumption into heaven with, uh, without death, these aren't necessarily heresy. Mary could certainly have remained a virgin for the rest of her life. Um, and this idea of someone being taken into heaven without like a visible death actually occurs in other places in the biblical story. Um, so... Not super problematic, but here's the thing. The, the Bible doesn't actually support either of these ideas about her. And I don't point that out just because it's like, oh, we're going to be right about this. Let's challenge some, some, some doctrines. It's important because in Mary's story, in her very body, we find some of the most important truths in the gospel. And they don't, they don't require her to be sinless. In fact, they require her to be sinful, like the rest of us. If Mary is sinless, then we miss the point that God became a man in order to be with sinful people. Even some of our favorite Reformed theologians, being not far from the Catholic views on this, they would have defended the perpetual virginity of Mary on the basis of the, uh, the, the, the womb that bore the Messiah uh, could never be polluted by sexuality with a sinful man like Joseph. But the gospel is uniquely equipped to meet and minister to deeply messed up people because God, in his loving kindness, decided to use deeply messed up people to unfold his plan. Do you know what incarnation means? This is actually why I love living and ministering in Tucson because if I was in Wisconsin... I couldn't talk about carne asada and have anybody know what I'm talking about. Or if they did, they'd be like, oh, that stuff's gross, because they don't know how to make it anywhere other than in Tucson or Mexico. Um, but carne asada, I always think about carne asada when I hear the incarnation, because they share the same Latin root word, which is, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the Latin root for <laughs> carne asada is. Um, but notice right there in the middle of incarnation, you have that C-A-R-N. 
Um, carne in, in uh, Spanish means meat, right? Uh, and connected to that in Latin, we find that the incarnation is literally God taking on flesh. It's the taking on of flesh. So the beauty of, of God being found in uh, the womb of Mary is that God isn't just arriving in some like vision form. He's literally becoming human inside of a sinful human. Did you know, by the way, that the loving kindness or, or the steadfast love of God, you'll see it used different, uh, both ways in Scripture, there's something in that that communicates like mirth or laughter. Um, and the reason why it's, the laughter's there is because staying faithful to people who aren't faithful to you is kind of funny. <laughs> like there's a little bit of mirth there. It's shocking in the most beautiful and hilarious way that God would condescend to broken people. Uh, in Israel's story back in Jeremiah 33, God says, this place which you say it's a waste without man or beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Did you know that there are prostitutes and incest in the bloodline of Jesus? That should make you laugh. Do you know how many murderers were in Jesus' bloodline? That's unbelievable. Yeah, a lot. A lot of murderers. Now, that's not because we don't laugh because murder is funny or prostitution is a joke. The laughter is the sort of laughter that a parent has when their child is stuck in a tree and they're not really in a ton of danger, but you kind of you're laughing. You're like, oh, yeah, we'll get you down. And you, you help them down to the ground. This is the loving kindness of God that in our desperation that we can't do anything about, but he is totally capable of doing everything to save us, there's like this chuckling going on behind the scenes. This is why understanding the story leading up to Mary makes our consideration of her that much more valuable. Mary is incredible because in the body of a poor young woman in Roman-occupied Israel, God said, this is where I'll place my son. Now, if Jesus had to grow in a sinless womb to be God, then how could he ever touch a leper and heal them? If Jesus couldn't be around sinful women, then how could he absolve an adulterous woman of her sin at a well in Samaria? The gospel is not good news if it's not good news to the people that need it the very most. Mary needed Jesus, and her body died and was buried in the ground, and it's going to be raised to life on the last day with the rest of the church. Elizabeth needed Jesus. John the Baptist needed Jesus. I need Jesus, and you, church, need Jesus. The whole world is in desperate need of a God who would actually be with them, and that's exactly what we got. 
you know what the word Emmanuel means? It's another word that we just kind of throw around. It means God with us. And do you ever wonder why we only call Jesus Emmanuel around Christmas? It's like only Jesus' Christmas name. But it's like his best name, in my opinion. Emmanuel is incredible. God with us? We should be calling God Emmanuel every single day in order to remind us of Christ's abiding presence with those who are hurting. The opening line of that song is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Now, Mary wouldn't have sang that song growing up, but she would have sang the Psalms and the prophets that foretold of a God who was going to rescue his people from their oppressors. He had done it over and over and over again throughout their history. But now, through Mary, he's going to do it in the biggest way possible. He has come to ransom and rescue his people from their greatest oppressor ever. Satan. Sin. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel. God with us has come to thee, O Israel. This is what the Song of Mary really is. Rejoicing, for Emmanuel has come to stand in the face of Satan and say, let my people go. That is what Jesus came to do. So, how can we call Mary blessed? And should we? Let's briefly turn to a different passage in Luke. If you turn just a couple pages over to Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 27, we see this very issue come up. Jesus just wrapped up uh, preaching a mind-blowing sermon. And uh, you kind of get the impression that the people listening to it were probably like, whoa, that was wild. And it says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So what Jesus isn't saying here is, my mother wasn't blessed. He's saying that giving birth to and nursing me isn't enough to experience the blessing of God. Hearing God's word and obeying it is exactly what Mary is blessed among women for. And Jesus heard the word of the Lord and obeyed it in the most perfect sense ever. Therefore, how much more should we bless and glorify him? That's the whole point of her song. She says, let's bless, bless and glorify the Lord together with me. We're given the same choice as Mary. We living in 2021 have the most coveted view on history because we're at the front of it, right? <laughs> we only have backwards to look and we are able to see the whole biblical story in a way that Mary would love to have seen, right? I think our main takeaway for today has to be the reminder that we can't, we can't encounter the living God and then just rub shoulders with him. There was thousands of people who did that when Jesus walked around in Israel, and they ultimately rejected him. So don't hear the word of the Lord and disobey it. Jesus' call for us is to repent and believe in him and then obey him. That's how we can be blessed, living with Christ in obedience. And it's not just this superficial blessing like obey God and you'll get that cool car. It's obey God and you can be adopted into his family. Obey God and you can be a true 
son and daughter in the kingdom of God. So our final point. Reflecting on the gospel helps us glorify a holy God. I think one thing that we learn from Mary's song is that true and good theology, knowledge of God, always comes after an encounter with God. The words that Mary spoke were a faithful witness to who God is because she had actually witnessed who God was and is. Uh, All generations will call me blessed. Why? She She says, because God because of what the Mighty One has done for me. Good theology is theology that makes us glorify God and worship Him. And that's exactly what Mary does. Mary's encounter with an angel that promises a child, that compels her to run to her cousin Elizabeth, who is also bearing a child who had been prophesied about centuries before, two women with centuries-old prophetic pregnancies. She opens her mouth, Elizabeth opens her mouth to declare the lordship of a pre-born baby over her life. All of this astonishing territory causes Mary to do one thing and one thing only. She glorifies God. Holy is his name. Holy is his name, she says. Mary is so close to God because God has taken on flesh and is currently in her womb. That's pretty close. So Mary then joins with the living creatures that surround God's throne, to declare to anyone who will hear, holy is the Lord. So kind of final thought for today is to ask this question. Do you know what your eyes are going to behold one day? When you die and then you are raised, you're going to see something. And it's in the throne room of God. And this is what it looks like. If you turn to Revelation 4, This is essentially what was going on in Mary's soul. In Revelation 4, starting in verse 6, we have this picture of the throne room of God. It says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Note, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. His word is true. At Christmas, Christ beckons us to come and live to hear his word, and to obey. And so for the next few weeks, I feel like this is kind of just like throwing a pebble into a raging river, but try. (laughs) Try to, join me in trying, I should say, in truly considering the advent of Christ, both the fact that he did come 
and then he's coming again. And I know it's hard with our schedules. Andy talked about it last week, just with the multi-various things that we get asked to do in December. Um, But let's not miss the opportunity to take part in God's story um, and reflect well on Mary, but then ultimately Christ. So part of hearing God's word and obeying it um, is worship. We see that. We see that um, proximity to God causes worship for people in the Bible, for living creatures that surround his throne, and then also for us. And so at Mission Church, we worship in a few different ways. We sing like the living creatures surrounding the throne. We sing praises to a God uh, who is worthy of praise. We also worship through giving, acknowledging that God is Lord over all of our things and that the money that we have is actually not ours. It's his money, um, and he's asked us to manage it for him. So pray about how you might use the money that he's asked you to manage um, for his mission. Um, I mean the big mission, not necessarily you know the little, the little mission, mission church. And then finally, we also worship through participating in communion. And communion is communion with God and also with each other. And communion is um, the primary means of grace. It's the primary way that we receive grace from God and remind ourselves on a weekly basis who we are, why we're here, where we're going, what we're about, and ultimately who Jesus is. And so we prepare for this because it is a special thing. It is a solemn thing. But it's also, it's also a simple thing. We just eat a little bread and drink a little wine. But this simple thing communicates a simple gospel, which is that Christ has died to ransom many. So to prepare for that, let's go ahead and um, enter into a time of confession. Now, this confession, um, if you're new here, is not a confession where uh, you, you sit with someone and spill your guts, but is rather a confession between you and a holy God. Enter that throne room that we just talked about in prayer. Confess your sins to him, knowing that he um, is faithful and he will forgive you of your sins if you confess them. So I'll go ahead and start off our prayer, and then we'll take... Uh, roughly two or three minutes of silent uh, prayer and confession time on our own. And then Mike and the team will lead us in song, and we will take communion together, which is the most joyful thing that we could ever do. Father, we approach you on the basis of uh, your Son and his work ahead of us. Um, We approach you knowing... um, that the only reason we can is because of the blood um, of Christ that we've been sprinkled with, because of uh, his body which is broken in our place. Father, we confess to you the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. We ask uh, that you would quickly remind us of things that we need to remedy and resolve, Uh, people that we have hurt, things that we have damaged, Uh, whether it be our neighbor or your creation. We ask that you would uh, comfort us um, in our repentance, 
um, and that sins brought to you in true repentance would be forgiven solely on the basis of your son. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.